Welcome to another edition of We Ain't Got No Podcast. This is Jay Wilmington. Joining me once again, always grateful to have along with me, is Julian Bravo. Julian, welcome. Thanks for joining me today. Of course. Thank you very much for having me, as always. Always happy to make an appearance on this podcast. Well, thanks, man. Yeah, so Julian and I have been talking a lot about recently and decided today would be a perfect time as the club kind of, you know, this this transition to a new ownership group has been you know, really rapid by any other major club sale um, time frame. Although at this point, it's also been so much every day that it kind of feels like it's been going on forever as well. But rather than kind of talking about all the, you know, ins and outs of the actual changeover itself, we were finding it a bit more interesting to talk about Roman Abramovich himself. Um, obviously, the man probably most single-handedly responsible for shaping the club that we all love and you know particularly at this point after 19 years of ownership and you know it's it's certainly a lot of drama and lots being talked about the way the club's being transitioned out of the Abramovich era but Julian um you know probably what we've really had a lot of fun and and has been a, a worth a lot of discussion is kind of going back through the Roman Abramovich era and talking about his, what is now kind of a legacy. Yes. And it's something I feel very strongly about. And I imagine a lot of Chelsea supporters are going to feel very strongly about this subject. Whether you've been somebody that has supported the club since before Roman purchased it, like myself, or somebody that has started supporting the club during Roman Abramovich's reign, I feel like we all have pretty strong opinions on all the decisions he's made. I think it'll be really interesting and worthwhile to kind of go back through some of the really key important decisions and events that happened during the time he was the owner of this club. So let's start there. Let's just go back to the beginning and actually just as kind of a precursor to the Abramovich era, you know, Julian, what do you, what do you have any comments on sort of the prior owner, Ken Bates? Uh, he was the, in July, 20, 2003 is when Abramovich um, came into the ownership group for Chelsea and and bought that from Ken Bates. Uh, what can you tell us about Mr. Bates? The Ken Bates ownership is always such an interesting topic because you have to look at it from two perspectives. There's the one perspective which has to acknowledge the fact that he was instrumental in saving the club. So Ken Bates obviously purchased the club when we were at a pretty down era in our club's history. And while his motivations at the time may have seemed a little self-interested, he still was able to bring the club to some of its more successful moments in recent history. Clearly, he made some wonderful decisions. At the same time, he alienated a large section of the fan base. And it's kind of tricky to look back on his legacy and how important he was in the club, because you'll get so many different perspectives from any Chelsea supporter that started supporting the club long before Abramovich took over. But for the most part, it's it's generally positive. His transition, while, again, kind of seemingly self-interested, was one that saw success towards the end of his reign, like tremendous success. We, by the end, had reached a top-four finish, and it's obviously something that I think played a key factor in Abramovich's acquisition of the club. A lot of people like to highlight maybe Drogba's goal in Munich or even Havertz's goal or Frank Lampard's goal versus Bolton as the most important goal. But it was Jesper Grunker's goal against Liverpool that gave us a top four finish that is probably the most important club in, goal in club history, given without that goal, it's entirely possible Abramovich never purchases the club. So 
so that transition from Ken Bates taking us to a little bit of a yo-yo club into, well, a successful club by the end of his reign, he has to be seen at the very least as an important transitionary figure. Yeah, I think without Ken Bates, like him or love him, you know, it's possible that the Roman Abramovich era never comes to exist because if they don't survive or sort of, you know, not I won't say thrive, like not like they did under Abramovich, but, you know, it, it, as you said, he, he came in an unstable time and was able to kind of, you know, make things a little more stable and, and improve things and have some of their better finishes. And then that kind of was what built or, or set the set the framework for for the Abramovich era. Um, and, you know, it's always interesting to me, and, I, you know, I don't know if you have any comments on, but just that, you know, that Ken Bates kind of uh, also that two sides of the coin to the conversation that he went on to have, you know, involvement with the Leeds ownership and that I don't think that anytime you have anything to do with Leeds and you're a Chelsea fan, you, that's a good way to sour your, uh, sour how people feel about you in a hurry. Yeah, I agreed. And, you know, um, it's a long time ago at this point, I can't recall it too much. This is basically just conversations I've had with Chelsea supporters during this time, because I do remember the transition. I do remember Abramovich buying the club, but I was 12, 13 years old at this time. And I couldn't necessarily understand the magnitude of what this meant for the club. I kept hearing, for the most part, positive things that a change in ownership was going to be good. And it's entirely possible Ken Bates carried us to his ceiling that he was capable of bringing us to. Obviously, he was never going to invest the financial capital that Abramovich did. So I'm appreciative, at the very least, for my understanding of his role in the club. But uh, yeah, it was basically just our transition into what we're here to discuss today, which was Roman Abramovich. So you talk about Roman coming in, and at that time in 2003 that he came in uh, to to own Chelsea and made, you know, it, it was a pretty... I, again, you talk about being fairly young at the time, and but do you, do you remember kind of the general perception of at that time, um, you know, Abramovich and, and the feelings of him and this foreigner, you know, of course, Russian, the money, but obviously that perception that we all know how people kind of, especially rival fans, uh, feel about him and, and Chelsea's money and that sort of thing. But, you know, what do you remember or looking back, what do you recall about the time from when about Roman when he originally took over? Well, what I remember was everything that was going on around us. Those Arsenal and Manchester United teams were some absolutely wonderful teams. And what I would say growing up was the team I despised the most was Arsenal. And that was honestly because I was a little jealous of how good they were. Both of those clubs had some really wonderful financial backing. And all I saw from this was it was basically drawing us on level terms. We were a club that was trending in a positive direction. And other clubs will always go around and say that Chelsea were nothing before Abramovich came to the club. But we did finish top four that season. And the club had some wonderful players, um, Zola, obviously. And you know, Frank Lampard had signed for the club recently. Uh, John Terry was coming into his own. So we had some pieces already in place. And it just felt that with some financial backing, if we were able to compete with the financial capacity of both Manchester United and Arsenal then there was no reason to believe that we could not compete with them and maybe even compete with some of the better teams around the world. So I saw it as a very positive thing because the pieces were already in place. This was just kind of the final piece to get us over the hump, the one that we could never really seem to catch up to those other clubs. But it felt like there was finally an opportunity for us. And from, comp- from a competition 
perspective. You know, he comes in, Abramovich, and one of the things that he's most associated with uh, in his time as Chelsea owner is the, you know, how many managers, and we're going to go in through and talk about a lot of those, uh, you know, in brief or sometimes or more in depth um, to, that played under him. But, you know, interestingly enough, two of the longer tenures, uh, well, maybe the longest tenures really under Abramovich were the man that was there when he got there and ultimately lasted just one season. And then, of course, Mr. Mourinho, uh, you know, he and Jose start that legendary relationship just 12 months after he arrives and sort of, you know, vault each other into, you know, a, another stratosphere of sort of legend together. Yeah, and it can't be discussed without starting on Claudio Ranieri himself, because as many conversations as I've had with other Chelsea supporters about Ranieri, it's positive. The results he brought to the club are really impressive. From fourth place to second place, that's a really positive trending direction for the club. And it was surprising to me, and I think looking back on it, you can kind of see why Abramovich might have made a change, but... For the most part, I do remember finding it strange that we were letting Ranieri go. That was our highest finish since we won the league in 1955, a second-place finish. And it was to a team that hadn't lost a single match that entire season. So I think a lot of us had the percep- uh, perception that Ranieri was going to be the man, that give him a little bit more time. He was taking us in a positive direction. And it was just a matter of time before we won the league ourselves. Uh, we also knocked out that same Arsenal team in the Champions League, and the entire team just had such a positive like, spirit going forward under Rainieri. So the change was an interesting one, and I guess it was foreshadowing of things to come, because even if you're a Chelsea supporter that really loved the manager, you could never feel safe about that manager's place in the club. Well, it's remarkable. I mean, just that it happened right off the bat, you know, that this this thing where Chelsea managers can be so successful and still be just weeks away from looking for a new job. Um, you know, it, it really did start going back all the way with Rangieri and, you know, as, as inconsistent as anything's been at the club um, over recent years, that that's the consistency there is the inconsistency of managers. And, um, you know, that, yeah, I, I obviously Rangieri is a, is a really interesting character and has a long history with the Premier League, but um you know, he, he, I think he does partly because of Mourinho's, um, you know, connection with Abramovich maybe get overlooked a little bit, as you said, because he really was impressive and probably by all intents and purposes didn't deserve to be, you know, removed from where he was. Um, but I, it's hard to argue with history once, uh, once Mourinho came in. And of course, that's got to be one of our biggest discuss, uh, talking points right here is Jose Mourinho. And I feel like Jose Mourinho himself could have an entire series of podcasts about his time at the club. But if we take Mourinho's time in isolation on its own, I don't think there's a Chelsea supporter that can say a single negative thing about his first spring during the club. I wish we could ignore everything that has happened since then, because I think if a lot of Chelsea supporters are picking sides, especially early on during Abramovich's reign, they're picking Jose's side. Because I think there was a battle and there was a perception. Now, was it Roman's money that made Chelsea successful or was it Jose Mourinho's managing that made the club successful? And I think they were both kind of at odds with each other where Jose thought, hey, I'm the man behind the wheel. I'm the one that's making this club successful. And Roman's kind of saying, you're replaceable. We can find somebody else to do your job and we will still have just as much success. 
That's, of course, a little later in Jose's reign, but let's start out with the positive. Our first league title in 50 years under Jose Mourinho, and it couldn't have been done without either of these two men. Without Abramovich's money and without Jose Mourinho's tactics, we're not winning that league. I don't think so anyway. I feel like a lot of people probably share the same sentiment. And the club that he built was astounding. He took a lot of the pieces that had already been in place. Petr Cech, obviously, John Terry, Frank Lampard. These players had been at the club for, well, Petr Cech was new, but the rest of these pieces had been there for a little bit. And they started having some really impressive results, going from above average, solid players to just some real world-class gems in this team. And it was Jose. And it continued on that point to a second season where we won back-to-back league titles. And if there was ever any sort of issue or ever any sort of sticking point, it was the fact that we had a little bit of some issues in the Champions League. We just couldn't get over that proverbial hump, which I think jumping into what we think about Roman Abramovich, his primary objective always seems to be winning the Champions League. From the moment he took over the club, it was never about winning the Premier League. Obviously, that was a nice thing, but it just seemed like Roman Abramovich prioritized one competition over everything else. And I would love to know if you actually agree with that sentiment, because that has always been the way I felt about Abramovich's ownership. I do agree with you. I think it. I think it's one of the things that's often frustrating at times during a Chelsea fan, because I think that, you know, we are so dangerous and have been historically in knockout competitions. And I don't think that that's a coincidence. I think part of that's the re- the way we structure roster, um, the way we don't build around necessarily long-term consistency, but we build towards a max ceiling and um, are, are willing to make changes. And I think that fits a little bit with a knockout competition. And I think that fits with an owner who wants to mold his, you know, his coaching and team and his roster in a way that, that favors that competition. And I think, you know, when you look at, at, at Jose there, it's a really unique fit because I think that Jose being this larger than life character, um, you know, being in there in a larger than life competition like the Champions League, um, I, I I do, and I, and I think that even to this day there are frustrations about that under his ownership, where the club just never looks at the long term consistency, and I think that's often with an eye to get back to a potential you know Champions League trophy as quickly as humanly possible. And I think this was all once again foreshadowing. Like you can look back on these things in hindsight and see what was coming for this club. Because Jose had some really impressive results, things that aren't really matched by other managers. His record at home is still something that we have never been able to replicate. And it should never be undervalued how amazing the league was when he came into his role as a manager. Those Manchester United teams and those Arsenal teams were some really good football teams. I don't want those to ever be understated. And the fact that he was able to pass them just shows how good of a manager he was. His third season, when we finished second place, you have to look at the ridiculous amount of factors that went into that. That was one of the best Manchester United teams we've ever seen. I mean, you look at the back, you had Rio Ferdinand, Nemanja Vidic, you had uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, you had Wayne Rooney, and of course you have the greatest manager of all time, Sir Alex Ferguson. And I can't help but feel that he was kind of revitalized. Alex Ferguson was revitalized by Jose Mourinho's inclusion in the Premier League. I feel like it renewed his determination to keep Manchester United at the top. And as a result, we had some incredible clashes with Manchester United. 
I will look back at that period of Chelsea and say, those early Jose Mourinho teams, probably the greatest football teams we have seen in Chelsea's history. And it came at a time where there were some really impressive teams all around us, not just in the Premier League, but around the world. And Jose Mourinho made us one of the absolute best clubs in the entire world. So, you know, after coming in and, you know, kind of finding his man, Abramovich, you know, Ranieri was established before him and they, they work out okay. And then, you know, gets Mourinho has these two incredible seasons. And again, highlighted, I think when you look back at though, that stretch there, um, it's eye popping, as you noted that, that last season Ranieri's with the club to finish with the second highest point total in forever, and then get 16 more points the next season, go on and win back-to-back league titles, and then not, uh, you know, fin- not not win the league, but finish second to an incredible United team. Uh, you know, where do you start to see what amongst that, in that relationship and, and with Abramovich and Mourinho, do you kind of see the see the writing on the wall or see where the two of them start to not, um, you know, have this long-term relationship that it looked like for a little while anyway, maybe they would have. I'm going to give both sides credit on this one. And I'm also going to blame both sides for this because I think the harsh reality about Jose Mourinho is he was a very ambitious person. I feel like he was always determined to go on and become manager of uh, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Manchester United, like his ambitions while we were an incredible club with incredible wealth and on the up, I think he really cared and prioritized his own legacy, maybe even above Chelsea at the time. This is all just kind of a guess, and I can never tell this for sure. And I think that played a little role into it, because I think he understood just how important he was to the club. And at the same side, I can't help but feel there was that Andrei Shevchenko issue that we had, which again kind of feels like foreshadowing. Roman Abramovich buying a player and Shevchenko, he was an amazing player. He was maybe on the downside of his career. Like he wasn't quite the same player he was. But Abramovich bringing in this player and saying, you know, this is a guy I want and, you know, you're going to find a way to fit this. And, you know, I know what I'm doing. So you need to find a way to make this work. And the combination of those kind of clashing egos don't think really did either party very well. When we're looking back on this, the Shevchenko thing still feels like such a contentious point among both the manager as well as the owner of the club. And you don't want to blame Shevchenko for anything that happened, but at the same time, he wasn't the right fit for us. And that's been issues in the future, again, foreshadowing where we bring in a player that doesn't quite fit what our manager's goal and objective is in place of what maybe an owner or a board or whoever's in charge of bringing these signings in thinks is the right piece for the club. Yeah. And I, you know, you've seen so many times with Mourinho from, I think it got obviously more pronounced over the years, but uh, not afraid to have a, a egotistical sort of wrestling match and have a very public one at that. Um, so, you know, I, I, but like you said, it's just so hard to look back at that. And while it's frustrating to see, you know, or or you got to honestly look back and see how how it didn't last. Um, yeah, it's, you just can't look back at that era with much more to say than you know a lot of praise because that was it was really a huge thing. And I think it you know Jose continued to really put the club in a big in a in a good spot. Although you know I'm really interested to to see what you, what you have to say about 
the next uh, manager under under Abramovich, and that was Avram Grant and uh, Avram Grant and. Um, not, you know, only 54 matches under Chelsea, but somebody, per, uh, you know, that's, that, that's pretty well remembered, uh, I think by, by Chelsea fans. Oh my God. Yes. I, I can't imagine that there are any Chelsea supporters that have anything positive to say about this <laughs> man, but he was a huge factor, I think as well. I, I feel like there have been a lot of people that have been fortunate enough to be in, Abramovich good graces and be in his ear and Avram Grant feels like the first one because I feel like his appointment and his role within the club especially his close connection to Roman Abramovich did play a huge role in Jose Mourinho's departure because I feel like he did not have Jose Mourinho's best interest in mind and there are times where I feel like Roman could have been swayed we'll get into it with some other figures in the future but where he was swayed by somebody that's close to him and Avram Grant inherited a really incredible squad. When you look back at those Jose Mourinho squads and the players that were still in that squad after he left, he had an amazing team. And the fact that we finished runner-up in every single competition and we won nothing, it looks good on paper. Like I, This year we would look back on something and say finishing second in the league, finishing runner-up in the Champions League, this is a good season for us. But at that time, those were really poor results. This club was more than capable of beating all of those teams that we lost to. It was more than capable of having the success that we had maintained under Jose Mourinho. But the players did not like Avram Grant. They were critical of his tactics. They were critical of his uh, training style. They were critical of everything that came with the man. And he didn't really have any real managerial experience coming into the club. This was the first case of a manager really kind of dragging us back from being one of the most powerful and strong clubs in the world to underachieving. And this was the first time we saw it. And it's not going to be the last time we see it during the Abramovich era. But yeah, not not the most likable guy, that's for sure. Well, I, it's funny looking back at his history, I, I didn't remember that not only was it such a short time that he was sort of brought into the club as, you know, kind of like, this is just Abramovich's kind of friend, and then just a very short time between then and when Mourinho's gone and he's taking over as manager. And then also I had forgotten that, well, you said not only not real experience, but didn't have really any of the required, like, coaching certifications from UEFA to actually even be in the role he was in as the Chelsea manager. So I just think about the the, the how awkward and weird that had to be within the squad to have you know this incredible success under this historic and rising manager and then to have someone come in that's like yeah I'm not certified or qualified for this at all so let's just keep it rolling so uh yeah just a just a really unique situation I think to the fact that they had Roman Abramovich as an owner um because that probably that situation you know he probably never comes into ownership at all uh I in my opinion had had you know, if it's any other owner out there. And that's a good point to look at it too, because under Jose Mourinho, if you listen to the players discuss his time at the club, Frank Lampard, John Terry, Didier Drogba, Michael Essien, these players said that they would die for that manager. These players absolutely love the manager. And we discuss power player a lot and how much it plays a role in the modern Chelsea squads. But back in those days, Jose Mourinho had absolute control over all the players. And maybe that was another factor. Maybe Abramovich didn't like the fact that the players might have been a little bit more loyal to the manager than to maybe him. 
But that was not the case. That was certainly not the case with Avram Grant. It was not the case with a lot of the managers that followed. And I think maybe this is kind of a good transition into discussing the manager that followed, which was Luis Felipe Scolari. Another manager that I feel like, I don't like saying this about a manager, but was just not a good manager. Not at Chelsea. And he didn't really have the results afterwards to show that he was any better. And if you don't mind, um, I would like to say a couple things about uh, Luis Felipe Scolari because he didn't last very long either. I feel like he inherited another one of these really incredible squads. I mean, I think that that squad we had that season, uh, 2008 to 2009, might have actually been our best squad during, maybe even during the entire Abramovich era because we were a really, really good team. And one of the biggest issues I had with Scolari was he was so determined to turn over a lot of those players. And one of my favorite stories that I remember was Scolari wanted to replace Didier Drogba with Adriano. And that's not really a hidden secret. And it just kind of goes to show that we were backing some really poor people. And Jose was really important for this club when he was at this club because he built something and it took a while for us to kind of tear it down. But each one of these managers that were trying to implement their own ideas were kind of picking at that club where you're kind of taking apart that spine, that core, that incredible squad we had built with some short-sighted ideas. Scolari is another example of that. And that's probably why he didn't last very long, in my opinion, anyway. No, I th- I think back to him sort of uh, just so strange with his involvement his whole career long, really, in Brazil. And, and, you know, again, having a very experienced manager, but again, just kind of an unusual fit. And not only with the with the country, with the club, with the culture, with uh, everything outside of seemingly kind of attracting the eye of Abramovich. And, you know, again, I think not really surprising that he didn't stick around very long. I think just... Uh, ultimately was ended up being in charge for oh thirty six matches um and then you know kind of led into the the first era of mother goose uh to, to came in to to replace Scolari. but uh you know any, anything else in or that you that that sticks out to you from that Scolari? because that for some reason I feel like his tenure I, obviously partly being short but that was like the forgotten manager for me as far as just not really having a lot of particularly strong feelings. I think Grant was such a character and said, had, you know, kind of prompted such opinions. Um, I, I think maybe just coming after him, Scolari didn't draw that from me, but uh, yeah. Any, anything else that, that particularly stood out from you from him, from him or his era and, and how it transitioned into, to hitting. Yeah. I think that when people try to understand what the reason for his appointment was, it, starts to give you a little bit more insight into what Abramovich was going for. I always felt like, and I feel a lot of people share the same sentiments, that Abramovich purchased the club with the intention of turning it into Real Madrid, Manchester United, this club with this beautiful attacking football, and Scolari being Brazilian with this kind of Brazilian philosophy, this philosophy for flair. I feel like this is the first time we kind of saw Abramovich maybe reach for a manager because, in theory, his style of football was supposed to be the more attractive football. We had gotten rid of Jose Mourinho, who, while our clubs were dominant, they weren't always the most attractive club out there. We weren't always playing the most beautiful attacking football. And I think this was kind of the first time that 
we're trying to transition into a period in which we are just dominating clubs, scoring goals, and just an absolute power in that sense. And obviously, that's basically kind of another foreshadowing into what we're going to see with future managers. But then there was Goose. And, you know, I think the reason I say that this squad was as good as it is is because when they were under his reign, we were an absolute force. We did not deserve to lose that Barcelona match, which I shouldn't even bring that up because it's probably one of the biggest heartaches for all Chelsea supporters is at the Barcelona Champions League tie. But after that, we went on to just absolutely decimate Arsenal. We were a squad that I felt was not just the best in the Premier League, but I felt like that was our absolute best squad in the world. And I felt like we deserved to win that Champions League. A lot of people probably share that same sentiment. And uh, it just went to kind of show that we had some really bad people in place. And when we had a little bit more of a peacemaker, Goose wasn't doing anything special. He wasn't going out there and playing some brilliant tactics or anything. He was just kind of letting these players be themselves. And it was really showing with just how good our squad was and just how competitive we were in every single competition under him. Yeah, and I did think of him kind of as the ultimate caretaker manager. I mean, we obviously he he he'll show up again in the in the years to come for Chelsea. But uh, really, I I had a feeling he was there just a little longer than he was, just a few months to to finish out the two thousand nine season. And then that's when, in the summer of two thousand nine, Mister Carlo Ancelotti arrives from Italy, and uh, well, the Italian manager, I should say, and. Finally, back to a manager that has a little bit of longevity again for the first time since Mourinho left. Chelsea able to get, you know, sort of a prolonged, well, <laughs> prolonged for them anyway. It's really just two seasons, uh, in 2009, 2010, 2010, 2011. Um, but obviously another big figure in the Abramovich era at Chelsea. Goose had taken us in such a positive direction that it felt like we were going to be successful with which our manager took over. And that's not discrediting Ancelotti, but we had some of the very best seasons we had had with Didier Drogba, Frank Lampard, our entire defense. Our club looked like an entirely different club under his reign, especially his first season. And I don't necessarily think we had been better than we were the season before in terms of the quality that was in our squad. But I think that they had so much confidence going into this season and it showed we were an extremely competitive team in the league and I want to focus on in the league because I could have this wrong but I do remember us getting knocked out by our old friend Jose in the Champions League I do remember watching both of those pictures and how frustrating it was to see we weren't really overly competitive in either of those two matches and that's kind of a little bit of a knock on Ancelotti because we didn't really look like we were ever going to beat that Milan team. But nonetheless, when we look at everything else, he won the double. That's the first time Jose hadn't even done that. We won the league. It wasn't particularly close. We won uh, the FA Cup and we looked dominant. Some of the best seasons we had ever had from some of our key figures. And even though I felt like maybe they were on the you know, downside of their career, we were starting to see them taper off a little bit. It was so impressive, the results he was able to get out of him. So for that first season, I want to give him significant credit. And I think what Abramovich was looking at with Enchilati was he was kind of seen as this ultimate peacemaker. I think when Abramovich and everybody else appointed Enchilati, they said he has the pedigree and he's not going to cause many issues. This is kind of the man to bring us in. This is kind of the man to bring in. And just let these players that are really incredible players 
be themselves. And I think that really showed. I think that's why we had such a wonderful first season. And um, I don't want to start on to the second season too soon, but I would love to hear what you thought about Ancelotti's first season at the club. Yeah, I was interesting, and you were you nailed it. It was it was we bowed out in the round of sixteen to enter. Uh, so yes, you good good memory there. Uh, after that semifinal loss to Barcelona the year before, uh, you know, I, I, Ancelotti, I I always think of as. You know, from a personality side of things, um, I think he's a manager that just made I. You know, as I grew in knowledge and of uh, the team that I felt I felt excited about, that I felt was you know could accomplish big things, but also um, I, I I was actually kind of surprised that he was around for for a few years. Maybe it was just the the, the multiple managers in a row. Things were not you know kind kind of rocky, but. Ancelotti never struck me as a guy that was going to be in one place too long either. Um, but probably around that time, like you said, some of some of my favorite, you know, from a roster standpoint, some of some of my favorite years um, from just what what the squad had, um, I think. And then, um, you know, he, I I don't know. It just it was like the last really good big breath of somewhat normal fresh air before the things got really chaotic again with, with Theus Boas and, and it's hard to look at Ancelotti's tenure at Chelsea where I think of him as a manager at so many other places too as really a Chelsea guy. But, uh, you know, it's hard to look at, at, at 67 wins in 109 matches and not be fairly impressed. Well, I really wanted to split up his first season and his second season because I felt like this was probably, in, in my opinion, the biggest change from Chelsea being one of the absolute elite clubs too. I, after this point, I don't think we ever had consistency again. This was the last season where the club had been always in every competition, always competing for everything. And it, it was him. He was kind of, it, it wasn't his fault, but he was the guy that happens to be in charge when this shift started to happen. If I remember correctly, I believe the only player signed after his first season was Ramirez. Something even bigger and more notable happened, not to Chelsea, but around the football world. And that was that Manchester City, they had been acquired by the Mansours. And it was at that point we were starting to see a little bit of a change in where the finances were really dominant. And we weren't the biggest, richest club in England anymore. And this is when Manchester City kind of took our spot as the most consistent club from this point going forward. Now, it took them a couple of seasons. It took them some errors of their own. But Antoine just happens to be the man that was in charge during this time. His second season is a tricky one because I think you'll ask 99% of Chelsea supporters and they say, we sacked Ancelotti too early. And they have a very valid and strong case for that, given that, well, he just won another Champions League with Real Madrid this past weekend. So he obviously has a pedigree to him and he's going to continue to get results for probably the rest of his managerial career. I had a very hard time believing that he was ever going to win a Champions League with Chelsea. And I think given that we started to see a decline in the club from this point going forward, I'm probably going to kind of forever feel that way about Ancelotti. And it, it gets really difficult to figure out what it was that Abramovich and the rest of the club saw that said, this guy needs to go. And we're not even going to give him a respectful departure. We're going to sack him after the final game. And the only logical conclusion I've ever come to for this was Abramovich probably felt that same way. 
he said, I don't think this guy is going to win us the Champions League, which again is crazy to think. But we lost to Manchester United four times that season. And that's a ridiculous number to lose to a club. And a great Manchester United squad, don't want to take anything away from them. But losing to the same club four times, it seemed like a Ancelotti had threw in the towel in the Champions League second leg when he substituted Paulo Ferreira on when we needed a goal. Paulo Ferreira's first appearance of the season, I think he had kind of thrown in the towel. I think that he just, I don't know if he saw the writing on the wall or what it was, but there was something really important that happened, and it really seemed like that was kind of the beginning of the decline of the club in general. Well, and there's also just an interesting, I don't know that it played a part, but just from a relationship standpoint, you know, you'd, you'd, it, it seemed like the only guy to really be Abramovich's guy so far, you know, uh, in his tenure was Mourinho, at least for a while. And now Mourinho, as we noted, was back at Inter and winning a Champions League uh, at Inter, knocking us out of the competition. Ancelotti had come to us from AC Milan. Um, so those two already, they really didn't like each other. And, and it just felt not like Abramovich, you know, chose Mourinho because not like they went back to him. But yeah, I, I agree with you. Whatever he, I think he saw in Jose from a tactical standpoint and the ability to win Chelsea a Champions League or, or the, what he saw there, he didn't see it in Ancelotti. And to your point, I think there had to be something personal like that because from a results perspective and from the size of the manager, um, yeah, he finishes second in the league, but um, like you said, pretty good pretty pretty good season and there, there had to be some other factors to his departure. So, um, before we move on, I do need to address one of the things that a lot of people highlight as well, and that was the unforeseen departure of Ray Wilkins, which I genuinely believe played a huge role in the club. It happened to coincide with Frank Lampard getting injured, if my memory serves me correct. But that's when we started to see a little bit of a dip in form under Ancelotti. And to this day, we don't exactly understand why Ray Wilkins was let go, but Ancelotti himself has come out and said since that Ray Wilkins was a very important part of the club. And a lot of the players absolutely loved Ray Wilkins. Another one of those figures in the club that I have a really hard time thinking there's anyone out there that has a single negative word to say about Ray Wilkins. And it is a little heartbreaking, especially with his unfortunate passing, that that's the last we had of Ray Wilkins because he was crucial. And I think that played a role in Ancelotti's brain in the club and possibly even in a little bit of our decline in consistency. But we couldn't skip over that important factor in Ancelotti's second season. But I think that does carry us into Vias Boas. And why don't you take the lead on Vias Boas? Because uh, he's definitely an interesting one here. He really is. So, you know, when I, when I, before I went back and kind of reviewed the tenure, so to speak, or, or going back to revisit that time frame. I just got to thinking back to how I felt as a Chelsea fan at that time frame. And I just remember (laughs) naively now uh, kind of being exuberant about this young, you know, tactically exciting manager. Uh, It seemed like, you know, he was going to kind of refresh the ideas around the club and maybe even sort of the league and the, and the, and the game. And um, of course now it's, 
it's hilarious to kind of look at it that way. Um, but I just, man, I, there was, there was a lot of excitement, not just around Chelsea, but around the league and around what is this young, really hot new, you know, manager going to do in the Premier League, especially at a club like Chelsea. Um, did you share my excitement when he first was announced or were you already wise enough to, to be uh, a little more, uh, a little more critical? I was confused by the appointment and I think a lot of people were, but it's one of those things, again, looking back in hindsight, Leo Soas isn't Jose Mourinho. And his football at the time was supposed to be progressive and forward-thinking. And we were supposed to have what I kept feeling like was one of Abramovich's main priorities. We were supposed to be a more attacking-minded squad. And that didn't necessarily come to fruition with Leo uh, Soas. And the stories you hear about him, they're positive. I think this guy really is determined to succeed. Stories about him sleeping at the stadium, doing everything he could, staying extra hours. He was just such a poor man manager. He was alienating some of our very important players in the club. And he, he obviously wasn't the right fit. This club was maybe a little too big for what he was capable of. It's kind of shown that since then he hasn't really been able to accomplish what the promise he maybe showed during his time in Portugal had, but no, I, I didn't understand this appointment. And looking back on it, the only justification I have is along the same lines of what I had for Scolari, we were trying to play some more attractive football and the SOS was a hot thing. It didn't pan out in any capacity. And I think Abramovich and the board gave him a longer leash than they honestly should have because the players weren't happy with him. The club wasn't happy with him. And it was pretty clear from very early on that he just was not the right fit for this club. But I think they wanted to make it work. And it was really hard for them to kind of pull the plug on this. But at the end of the day, they definitely made the right call. Well, the real, the wheels really did come off. I, I, I was remembering it a little worse than it was in reality that, you know, we were only a, a few points out of off fourth place when uh, he was sacked. But yeah, just just this. It's funny to think back of if you're going to bring in the young manager who's never pl- hasn't played in his career is really young, so doesn't have a lengthy managerial career. Um, maybe also you'd think that guy would at the very least be a really good man manager. His age being a little closer to the player's age, you'd, you'd figure maybe he'd have the the uh, Cliff Kingsbury effect or something where there'd be a little bit of, and it wasn't that case at all. I mean, he alienated the players. He alienated the fans on behalf of the players. And even I think by the end had, you know, uh, had Abramovich asking questions about his lineup selections. And um, ultimately, you know, it just, it it was just a house on fire really. And I, I, it's kind of embarrassing to look back now and say how, how you ever could have imagined this working out. But um, I guess Spurs tried it as well. So um, we weren't the last to, to, to give it a shot. Um, And then this is probably, I'm really fascinated to hear what you have to say about that transition from Villas-Boas into Robbie DiMatteo. Well, I, I'm very fortunate to have met uh, Mr. DiMatteo himself. I have a couple of photos with this man, and uh, he holds a very uh, you know, wonderful place in my heart. Absolutely incredible manager. Well, not incredible manager, but an incredible man, a great player for the club, and he didn't need to do much. This club was still kind of still with the spine that Jose had built from all those years ago, and the players still had the capability. I 
I think very few Chelsea supporters will go back and say that this is the squad that deserves to win the Champions League. This was by no means the best squad we had had. Uh, a lot of fortune played into our Champions League victory. And uh, Di Matteo, I mean, he was the manager. He made some calls. Uh, the Champions League final, regardless of you know how the game may have been for uh, 90, 120 minutes, we came out with a victory, and that can never be taken away from us. It can never be taken away from him. And he will forever be an icon, a legend in the club for bringing us the trophy that all of these incredible managers, Ancelotti, Jose Mourinho, they could not bring us. He was the one that finally brought us that title. And we're all grateful for that. What happened afterwards, this is kind of where maybe a little bit of a fracturing between Abramovich and the supporters started happening because he wasn't getting the best results out of the club. And we had to see that. And it seemed like a huge priority of Abramovich was getting his record signing, Fernando Torres, who somehow we haven't mentioned to this point, getting him firing, something that Vias Boas and Chilotti, uh Di Matteo hadn't been able to do, started becoming a huge priority because he didn't want another Shevchenko on his hands. He didn't want to look like he had made another mistake. Abramovich comes off as maybe a little bit of a prideful man, somebody that doesn't like admitting errors or mistakes. And I think that this was really important and key in this dismissal of Di Matteo. But at the same time, especially looking back, I think we can all just kind of acknowledge that again, Di Matteo was maybe a little out of his depth at this club. This was a little bit too tall of a task for him. He didn't quite have the managerial skills to maintain the success and it's a lot of the reason our form dropped off and it's part of the reason why we may have loved the guy but he was unfortunately let go for somebody else <laughs> well it just it you know it, it's one of the really truly unique things about Chelsea but um yeah it, it is as you you said it really well that this probably wasn't the version of Chelsea or whatever that maybe deserved to win the Champions League, but it was, you know, kind of had been coming. Uh, but just interesting to have a, you know, a former club player, uh, uh, somebody that kind of universally loved, but also didn't, didn't, I never felt like, you know, he had a strong individual personality. Um, they loved, people loved loyalty to, to the club. And of course, what he accomplished after being in a tough spot, taking over for VS Boas. But, uh, yeah, and then and then buoyed by the fact that he really didn't go on. I think he managed at Schalke a little bit, and and also at Aston Villa briefly after that. But really didn't go on to. It's just kind of amazing that to to when he when he looks back on his life someday to think like I, I was a Champions League manager, uh, winning manager, and and not to dive into that match too much. But I just remember too that like you said, the squad wasn't that talented, and then some of the lineup choices even or or not even choices, but what the what we were left with through through suspension and injury, you look back at that, and it is remarkable that they went in and won a Champions League final in Munich against Bayern Munich. I, I it's still one of the things I can't believe they actually did, um, but you know it didn't last very long after that. Like you say, it just uh, you know. De- Matteo sort of kind of I, don't you feel like you kind of had to make him the the full time manager? You can't win a Champions League for the first time and then say you know see you later. But um, yeah, it was kind of hard to imagine that that would be it, finishing what were we sixth in the league that that would be something that would last too long. 
that definitely was the case. I mean, he did everything he was basically asked to do for the club. And I think maybe we should touch on the Champions League just a little bit more because Abramovich had finally fulfilled one of his primary objectives. He had won the Champions League. And you could see the smile on his face. But, I mean, this is all speculation. I feel like he didn't, he wasn't content. He wasn't satisfied. He didn't win it the way he wanted to win it. I always felt he wanted to go out there and just absolutely put on a show of beautiful attacking football, winning a match 3-0 against uh, one of the better clubs in the world. It's an absolute demonstration of uh, what he's able to do as an owner because he held the trophy, he smiled, he looked happy, but and again, speculation. I don't think he had achieved what he had set out to, not at that point anyway, and it, it maybe renewed his dedication. It was from this point going forward that we still saw continued investment in the club. He wasn't content. This wasn't enough. He was still determined to maybe rebuild the club in a mold that demonstrated this kind of Barcelona, Real Madrid blueprint. That's just my opinion. That's the way I've always looked at it. And I think that plays a factor in, well, the dismissal of Di Matteo because he was never sold on Di Matteo. He was never sold on the football and he was never sold on the results with the exception of the Champions League. So, yeah, we, we brought in a guy that no, nobody wanted. Nobody wanted Rafael Benitez to be our uh, manager. And I can turn this over to you if you'd like, or I can start discussing Benitez and my thoughts on his reign at the club, but I'll, I'll leave that up to you for now. No, I'll, ba- I'll bounce it back to you, but I would just say finally on the on the – that's an interesting point that you made about the Champions League and Abramovich sort of it being this ultimate dream, this mirage to achieve, and then he achieved it, and it was like, this isn't, the it wasn't what I thought it'd be, or I, I, there's a version of this that I still want to accomplish. I wonder sometimes, I mean, that to me just sounds like what Chelsea is. It's a club that is just marked so deeply with the DNA of Roman Abramovich, and here's this guy that... Um, you know, is it the club's marked by his ambitions as an international businessman and as a club owner himself and what he wanted to accomplish in that arena and the competitiveness that he showed. Um, I have I have a feeling that he was good. He would always find a way had we won four or five to find a way to not be satisfied, to not have that thirst quenched because of who he is. And I think um, that's one thing that is just it, it's hard to to make tangible, but how do you measure that going forward into the next ownership group? Cause that's the thing I'm the most afraid to lose is just sort of this, this like never ending thirst for being on top. Um, and even when you get there, it's like, Nope, we got to do this again or in a different way. Um, so, so again, that, that just really stood out to me there as you were talking about that in, in, in who he was as an, as a club owner. Um, but yeah, going back to, uh, going back to the manager trail and Rafa Benitez, um, you know, yeah, it just was such an interesting choice. I mean, I know that Rafa obviously has a well, uh, well filled out resume, um, but it just, it was never going to be even a, uh, it was. It could only be acrimonious between the fans and Rafa. There was no other possible way. And I think at a club the size of Chelsea, 
you've put a guy, I mean, I, I can't say I ever really felt sorry for Rafa, but, but it was so evident from the very beginning that there was no version of this where he could be seen by the fans as a success, really, or, or if he was so astronomically successful that they were forced to, they'd still almost be wanting and waiting for him to fail so they could root for somebody else. Um, and I just think, you know, it's hard for me still to rationalize putting somebody in at the helm like that, that you know has a relationship like that with your club and its community? So the first time I was ever really upset with Abramovich was after the departure of Jose Mourinho, but I understood that for the most part, it was mostly mutual. So it was basically like a free pass in that sense. And from that point forward, I could at least justify if not agree with all the decisions Abramovich and the rest of the board and the club made in general, this was the one where I had a really hard time dealing with it. And you go from somebody that we all loved in Di Matteo to somebody that we all, and I will use this word, hated, because we hated Rafael Benitez. And this transition was one that was not going to satisfy many. I will never, ever cheer against the club. I will always want us to win every single match. But it was really hard watching that man on our side by managing our players, managing some of our legends when I could not stand the guy. Most of us could not stand the guy. And it was the only time where I was really aggrieved by everything and the decisions that had been made. And I was discontent with the club, discontent with the ownership, discontent with everything that was going on around. And even if he had the best results, I didn't want that man with the club. I wanted him gone. If he was a caretaker, if he was short term, I wanted him gone. And a lot of people say he performed above expectations, especially given that many Chelsea supporters felt the same sentiment that I had, but I'm glad his uh, stay was short and I'm not going to go back and ever appreciate the things he's done. We did win a trophy. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, it wasn't primarily his doing, but rather a squad that was still, you know, off the back of winning a champions league. So I'm, yes, I'm with you, it's man. I'm, the I was going to say we can uh, we can let anyone out there that wants to find out more about uh, Rafa Benitez or or any part of his Chelsea uh, managerial short short window managerial time. Uh, they can go to look up that elsewhere. But uh, I'm with you. I'm I'm. It's about how I feel about Rafa. Happy to just kind of skip right past him and 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 move on. Um, so you know. So just as as a quick as a quick we're getting up here kind of into into more recent times um, under under Abramovich, uh, you know it just seems like in general, do at this point do you, do you feel like the strange I mean is Avram Grant still kind of the strangest, most kind of out there Abramovich hire or do you think that in a different way that that really you know Rafa taking over becomes kind of the, uh, the biggest oddity of in the managerial hires. Oh, I had never actually thought about that before in my life. That made sense because he was friends and it just seemed like he was kind of kicking the can down the road. And while Benitez was also maybe a kicking the can down the road sort of higher, there was maybe some justification for Benitez too because um, he was still trying to get the best out of Fernando Torres and Rafael Benitez was the man that had the most success with Fernando Torres. So, they're both, you know, not good decisions in terms of how we as supporters look at these decisions. 
but you can really make a case or you can kind of justify why it might have been made, even if you strongly disagree with it. So either one, I, I don't know. They're they're about equal. I, so, I can't so beautifully, we go from one end really of the spectrum to the other, in my opinion, you know, from a fan perspective. And I don't think that that was a coincidence. Um, I, I, obviously, that's not the only reason that we brought Mourinho back. But, you know, how do you... <laughs> A good way to to appease, you know, a frustrated fan base who just had to root for who they considered completely a Liverpool manager uh, to bring back the 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 was he still the special one at that point or the chosen? I don't know how many you know names he's gone through, but uh, welcome back, Jose, part two. Oh, I was excited. I couldn't imagine that anyone wasn't excited. Jose Mourinho. After he left Chelsea, treble at Inter Milan, I think he did an amazing job at Real Madrid. He may have never won a Champions League with them, but he surpassed maybe the greatest uh, like legacy, the greatest club we had seen during that time, that Barcelona club. He had beat them in the league. He had some really impressive accomplishments to him. It just felt like he maybe came back to the club a little bit of a broken man, like Real Madrid broke him a little bit. And it was kind of a reunification. It showed that whatever issues him and Abramovich had in the past, they were put behind them. And this was a chance to remedy the mistakes that had been made once upon a time. And I honestly felt like this was it. We were finally going to have our manager that was going to be at this club for five, 10, maybe 20 years that Jose Mourinho had his time away from the club. He went off to Real Madrid. He won his champions league at other clubs and he was going to come back to Chelsea win us a Champions League and stay here and create an incredible legacy for us and himself. He was going to do it with uh, Froman as our manager and everything was going to be great. I had that much optimism for him. There was and is one figure that we kind of skipped over his hiring and his importance and significance in the club. And it was during VSPO at this time. And that is when we hired maybe one of the most uh, divisive men in Chelsea's history, and that was Michael Eminolo. And I bring him up because Abramovich basically said to the both of them, you two need to make this work. Eminolo didn't want Mourinho, and he said he wanted to resign and no longer be a part of this club. And Mourinho didn't particularly care to work with Eminolo, but Abramovich said, you both need to figure this out, and I'm keeping you both on, and this, this will be a perfect relationship. Because while some people look at Eminolo as this really negative figure and some people look at him as a very progressive minded and futuristic thinking director the reality is it's somewhere in the middle he probably wasn't as bad as some people think he probably wasn't as good as some people think but his role in the club it did seem to have a little bit of an impact on jose Mourinho, previous managers and managers that would even come after jose Mourinho. that's the way i kind of want to start this second spell of Jose Mourinho. Absolutely. And and for and I assume most of our listeners are familiar with Eminalo, but he, you know, former director of football at Chelsea and a guy that was uh, you know, I don't know if you would say specifically what his fingerprints were on the club, but I know from a player development standpoint, scouting, signing youth uh, or youth academy was often one of the, you know, people most you know, he was really well respected for a long time. Um and, and like you said, then at a club with these big personalities um, kind of trying to get everybody 
to agree and and share opinions in the same room. It seemed like ultimately he was kind of the casualty and went on to Monaco. Um, but I, you know, that's that's something that I think even at this point um, will be interesting to see. Well, you know, we won't jump into the new ownership group too much, but you know, will there be a Michael Emanalo of the future of Chelsea at all, or or you know, is Peter Check now sort of you know that guy? Uh, but I, yeah, it, 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 very interesting time, and I just. You know, the the Jose, the person, seemed to always, uh, in a lot of ways, or at least from my perspective as a fan, sort of get in the way of Jose, the manager, because he just almost couldn't accept um, the the res- the shared responsibility from from talent around him. You know, he wanted he wanted a lot of that spotlight himself, but maybe that's maybe that's not giving him enough credit. I think that Abramovich probably felt the same way I did, that he wanted this to work. He wanted this to kind of be the final manager. And it was probably really tough for him to make the decision. It took some really poor results for us to actually get rid of Mourinho. And it did seem like there was maybe a little bit of a mutiny. Some of the players weren't backing Jose. And Jose had two different Chelsea clubs. He had one that uh, would die for him. And then he had another that well, they didn't seem to have that same sort of enthusiasm for him and his football. And this was kind of one of those moments where we said they seem the ownership, uh, they seem to prioritize the players over the manager, that it's easier to get rid of one person than to get rid of a group of players. And rather than backing Mourinho, who still had some special left in him, they opted to go with the players and We'll never know if that was the right result, but this just was part of the instability that followed from what I will say was uh, Ancelotti's second season. It just seemed like instability from that point going forward, and this was another example of that. Well, it's really interesting how he sort of like righted the ship and won a title right in the middle of that instability, and then before the wheels came off, too, that, you know, Chelsea seems to kind of have be famous for sort of be rattling on the rails, but never really, you know, I think about a, like a bobsled guy, just like always seems like they're going to come off the course, but has a record time because they're just wildly out of control and sort of in control. And Jose comes back and settles things down, wins a title. And then that following 2015, 16 season where he gets dismissed in December is like the all time off the rails season. And, you know, again, we didn't really turn things around partly after he left, which is part of the reason for that. But to, to go from that first place finish and then go back and look at that, how that season ended and see a 10th place league finish. I mean, it's just, it is pretty remarkable how quickly things uh, went south after the, after that second season back. And you really have to wonder where Abramovich's priorities were at this point, like what he was looking for, because it seemed like he had tried everything. He had gone with attacking-minded managers. He had gone with uh, players. He had gone with managers that had success within the club. He had basically tried everything. It looked like, and we just could not find the right fit at this point. And I, I don't know where his mind was. I don't know what he was looking for or how we were ever going to fix this club because tenth place. That's as bad as it's been under his. So Julian, moving on from the Mourinho second tenure, do you have any comments in particular to make about, you know, Gus Hiddink again, coming back uh, just there for six months to finish out that 2015, 2016 season with Chelsea? It felt like we were just kind of at a lame duck point in this club where it didn't seem like we were necessarily going in a positive direction. There was a lot of mystery as to what was going to happen going forward of, 
players weren't performing to the expectations we were hoping for. And basically, the entire future was a little bit of a mystery. Losing out on a Champions League spot, there wasn't a whole lot to look forward to. It just didn't necessarily seem like we were headed in the right direction. And this was going to be one of the most important managerial appointments we could have made because we needed to get this club back on track. Yeah, and when you need to get uh, people whipped into shape and get things back on track, there's nobody better to bring them in and do just that than Antonio Conte, and that's who came in in July of 2016. And I think, Julian, we've spent a lot of time, obviously, talking about Chelsea, and I think you know, you. know, this is a guy that we often really agreed on uh, when he was in at the helm of Chelsea, just that you know, nobody's a stranger to Antonio Conte's uh, difficulty, so we say, having a long-term, positive, harmonious relationship with, with club ownership uh, anywhere he goes. But I just think, man, talk about the right guy at the right time for Chelsea to really kind of get things cleaned up and headed back on track. Um, you know, his fuse was probably always going to only be so long, but I think you and I would have liked to see it see it longer as well. So, you know, tell me, you know, tell me again, I've heard you talk a lot just in our conversation, but you tell me what you think about Antonio Conte and, and, and his time at Chelsea. He was a miracle worker. That squad he won the league with was not a good squad when you look back at some of the players he had and some of the positions they were playing in that squad should not have performed as well as it did and it just went to show just how good of a manager Antonio Conte was that match we lost 3-0 to Arsenal was one of the best things that could have happened to us from that point going forward Antonio Conte switched things up and we were just an absolute monster in the league that was some of the most impressive football. Like we were strangling teams to death and they just could not compete with us. And I didn't think we were capable of doing that both with the players we had. And I didn't know if the club was capable of doing that at all anymore. And the work he did, I have to highlight that first season, that league title we won. That's a miracle. I can't believe he actually did that. And I think it exceeded so many of our expectations. A lot of people say, Hey, no Champions League to play. We didn't have any European football that season. But at the same time, you can't discredit everything that he did, especially in that first season. So just like with Ancelotti, I kind of want to split these two seasons up because I want to give him his credit for his first season and turn it over to you from that first season. Yeah, so... You know, I think the, the the first season part of it, and I, I one of the guys for some reason I'll always associate with Antonio Conte was was uh, Victor Moses, just because it, it summed up to me sort of Conte and how he will always sort of maximize even if it, it you know squeezing every last drop out of the out of of lemonade out of or you know out of the lemon because he just could take these players that had had not really been the right fit at the right place and and for sh- for maybe even just sheer will sometimes um make it happen and um you know players that even sort of revived their careers or had this bright spot for literally just the time he was there because he was able to utilize some of the skill sets and players that just weren't being able to be used and I don't you know it, He's done that in other places too, and and you know since he's left Chelsea, he's continued to have success, and also continued to not be anywhere very long. But um, you know, it's it, it scares me a little bit, you know, that he's at Tottenham. But yeah, going back, I think that it was phenomenal to win the league, particularly again. We talked about 
that 10th place finish the year before. And, you know, people love to say that, you know, hey, you don't have European football. You know what? If you don't have European football, it's because you weren't very good the year before. So I don't I don't really think that it's this huge leg up to not be very good. And I think that that's kind of from a club perspective. We had so much to sort out, and it really was a unique individual like only a guy like Conte could have been to turn it around that quickly. Yes, did we have, uh, you know, more more talent than we were getting uh, that that season prior. Yeah, absolutely. But to to kind of be able to make us be greater than the sum of our parts that quickly, I just don't think there's very many managers in world football, and maybe never have been, that could have done that turnaround in that kind of a in that kind of a time frame and do it with kind of the guys that he had and and make players um, into key parts that really had kind of become, you know, just kind of uh, supplementary to the squad. And that transitions into the second season. And I will remember one of the questions I had from my good friend, Greg, and I want to give a shout out to Greg, because he asked me this early in the season, just after Conte had won the league. And he said to me, why does it feel like Antonio Conte is on thin ice? Why does it feel like a man that just won the league feels like he's going to be sacked at any moment? And that was the case. Even after he won the league, it never seemed like his job was overly stable. And there are a lot of factors that played into that. The Diego Costa situation where he isolated our top scorer from the season before. But I think there was a lot more to it. And I think it has to do with the same thing I kind of hinted towards with the Champions League. I don't think Roman Abramovich was ever overly happy with the style of football both Antonio Conte played and the direction the club was headed. Conte had a lot of demands. He was kind of a egotistical person himself, and he was, I would say, causing a lot of issues within the club. But in addition to that, I don't think we were playing the type of football that Roman Abramovich wanted. So it wasn't a perfect fit. It goes to show that somebody that even has the results, never really had stability within the club because he was let go towards the end. of. We all know he was let go at the end of the season. And if there's one guy I say we should have given the financial resources to back, it would have been Antonio Conte. You listen to him speak in interviews and he says the players that he wanted, players like uh, Van Dyke, and you can only imagine where Chelsea might have been had they been able to purchase a player like Van Dyke. And it, it's really unfortunate that there was such a clash between him and everybody else at the club and even towards the end when it became a legal issue and he was suing the club it's unfortunate and that's kind of the best thing the only way I can really leave this is that I really wish it hadn't ended this way and right now we're seeing him at Tottenham and he's overperforming there again this man's an incredible manager and this feels kind of like the one that might have gotten away yeah, I, it's so hard to not look back at his tenure at Chelsea, what he accomplished in such a short time, what he's accomplished since, and not see how we wouldn't be in good position to have him leading the, the charge. But it's also just, you look at the statistical, his career, and there's just not a lot of evidence that he can last in, in a very positive relationship with management. I think that's still the thing we'll see when the the other shoe drops with, with Spurs, I think, you know, what's this, even what's amazing to me when you talked about Conte being, you know, near departure, even after that successful first league winning season, it's just, you know, I think about that now with Daniel Levy, it's it just, 
not it just doesn't seem set up for long term and I don't know that he literally can it almost seems like that's part of his the chip on his shoulder or the what his, the drive comes from this belief inside of him that he's the only one that really understands and is really only one on his side and the really one the only one that's his friend in the long run and I just think I wonder sometimes if if part of that um, success that he has and that that incredible drive internally is tied to his inability to really work and play well with others very long. Um, but yeah, as you said, it just, it, it that unfortunate of like, man, it, this, there were, there was so much good to come out of something that didn't last very long. It's, it's, it's hard not to think what might have been if things could have, you know, if you could have found a way to have a little bit of more harmony um, between the manager and the club himself and the, with the squad, but you know, harmony at Chelsea, that's, that's quite an oxymoron. Before we move on from, well, before we move on from Antonio Conte to the next manager, it's around this time frame that something really important happened because this is when discussions of the stadium redevelopment really started to ramp up. And that was one of the most important things to Roman Abramovich. I think that when we look back at his legacy, that might be the biggest stain on his legacy is I feel like it was his, if not his biggest priority, one of his absolute top priorities because Man, you took a tour around Stamford Bridge, and the first thing they show you as a tour at Stamford Bridge is the plan designs for the stadium redevelopment. It's so important to them. It was so important to him. It was so important to them. It was around this time in 2018 that all of these discussions were like at the peak, and it seemed like the issues with Abramovich really started to show themselves because he was not seen in the most positive light in England at this moment. He was having some issues even going to Chelsea's matches. And this is where I feel like his maybe biggest regret is going to be is never getting the stadium redevelopment finished. And that's a little heartbreaking. Uh, if you've been to Stanford, I mean, a lot of people that are listening to this have probably been to Stanford Bridge. You know, it's not the nicest stadium in the world. It's old. It's been there for a very long time, even with the remodel that they've done to the club over the years. It's still not the same standard as, I hate to say it, maybe Arsenal's stadium or many of the other stadiums that are a little newer or American stadiums in general. If you've been to any sort of American sporting events, you know that these facilities are just absolutely amazing facilities. Stamford Bridge, it has its own charm, but it definitely needed some redesign and it needed it because the club needed to be able to compete with everybody else. Roman Abramovich was determined to make this club financial on its own, without his backing, without his money, stable on its own. And that's maybe going to be his biggest regret is never never achieving that goal. Well, and it's an interesting point, and I'm glad you brought it up at this time frame with that stadium, because it also felt like, and, and you kind of alluded to this, that uh, maybe you wouldn't agree, but it felt like sort of the heightening of the I don't know, a little bit of tension with his relationship with the UK government or with sort of the, with, with the UK at large, um, because, you know, there became so much conversation around, is this going to be a big reinvestment, um, of Stanford Bridge itself, or is this going to be something at the Battersea Power Plant or some alternate location? And, you know, started to really have a lot of, I what I interpreted from afar as frustration with the process of the, you know, banality of the legal system and the and the permitting process and just sort of here's this guy who can kind of move mountains by himself and now he, you know, just this incredibly um, 
you know, just frustrating process in, in which, you know, ultimately after several years kind of for various reasons one way or another kind of decided to take his ball and go home and not invest in this. And, and I, I, you know, think that had he, his ownership lasted another 10 years and that probably would have happened. But, um, yeah, it's just a really interesting time, particular since his departure is, was, you know, forced through this sale that it, it felt like that was the first time that, that really, not the first time, because there was always sort of this grumpiness towards this money from Russia and this billionaire and Chelsky and all this stuff from from parts of the country. But it, it seemed like his he became more, I won't say a target, but sort of it heightened his awareness of people and not really um, locally in England really feeling very warm about this guy, even though, you know, there's a lot of argument to be made um, on on how much benefit he'd provided so much of London and the country through how much investment people put into the area and the, the country and all this tourism because of him and what he'd put into the club. So, um, yeah, well said, a really interesting time, I think, to, to, you know, there's a lot going on for Abramovich in that time frame, kind of 2016 to 2018. And then... After that, of course, it leads back into my speculation that I've always had a lot of people where they didn't believe that we were going to bring in Maurizio Sarri. And I had a very long conversation with uh, a Napoli supporter, Mario, to Mario, if he's listening. We had a very long discussion about Maurizio Sarri, and he said to me that he could not envision Chelsea hiring a manager like Maurizio Sarri. And I explained to him that I felt like it was always going to happen for one reason and one reason alone. Sorry, was that attacking-minded manager that I still felt like Abramovich was seeking his entire reign at Chelsea. And I feel like that's why he brought him in. And a lot of people say we did not back Sorry, And I couldn't disagree with that more. Record signing for um, Jorginho at the time. Um, and we also brought in uh, uh, Gonzalo Higuain, which the board were adamantly opposed to bringing in. But we did it to appease this manager feels like we really wanted to make this one work like it was a really big priority for the club to make Maurizio Sarri happen because it was the type of football that we maybe had been going for during Abramovich's reign his era and given him a little bit more time it might have happened but this was another kind of dark point where the manager and the fans did not see eye to eye and we had some issues with Sarri I, I don't necessarily think it was the wrong appointment. I think I understand what they were going for, and he's a very divisive character. Everyone has an opinion on Sorry, but I think that's just kind of the way I can leave it for how short his reign was. But obviously, I'm sure you have your own thoughts on Sorry. You know, I it's it's somebody that I really wanted to see succeed. I mean, I obviously we always want to see everybody succeed, but there's certain players or certain managers that just like for whatever reason they say, I, you know, you really want it to work, and I, I really wanted to work. Um, I thought it was intrigued by the idea of of you know his playing style and and even with. Um, you know, I I've been more of a I won't say a Jorginho defender, but I but I still. Um, I like the player Jorginho more than a lot of Chelsea fans do, but I, to your point, um, 
it is interesting to me that some people feel sorry was not particularly backed because he he's been gone for years and we're still talking about our squub uh, excuse me about our squad as is that a sorry guy or is that a you know not and and so yeah I mean he he we our squad is still in my opinion pretty impacted by the decision to even temporarily try to follow his model of football because it was so different and it was unique enough that the players he wanted involved. Uh, I'm not sure they're the most versatile kind of players, and so now we still have some of them that are difficult for managers like Lampard and Tuchel in certain cases to to make work in different styles. And it also limits your ability to sell those players because their value is likewise limited to managers and clubs that are going to be taking the most out of their skill sets. Um, And so... You know, I can I can pretty easily sit here and and recognize that you know long term sorry probably wasn't going to work, and we still have some issues today because we chose him. But I even till the end, I found it I found myself largely really wanting something sympathetic about him, and I don't know why because don't even looking at him now, he he doesn't particularly cut a sympathetic figure, but it it just seemed like. Uh, I, I felt almost like there were a lot of minds made up and conclusions drawn before there was enough evidence to really see that he, whether or not he was a success. Um, but again, that's, you know, welcome to be in a, a football manager and, you know, in the current times. He kind of came in saying that he was just going to work with whatever the club was going to give him. And that wasn't necessarily the case as it seemed like he made a little bit more demands than the club had anticipated and having a manager that was basically going to take the pieces that were already in place and kind of shift it to a more attractive style of football I think that's the promise we were given and it wasn't the actuality that happened and I think as a result sorry wasn't overly content with us either I don't think he really enjoyed being part of this club whether it be because he didn't agree with the ownership or whether it be because he didn't like the lack of support the a lot of the supporters were giving him. This one was definitely mutual. He wanted to go. I don't think we were stopping him from going. I think we were more than happy to let him go too. So short reign, maybe one of the most consequential and influential reigns though, because it's going to have a very long lasting legacy. Some people will look at it as positive. Some people will look at it as negative, but that leads into one of another, probably really consequential managers. And that was Frank Lampard, who Abramovich loved. I don't think that there's any question that Abramovich loved Frank Lampard. And if he wasn't Frank Lampard, he probably never gets this opportunity to be manager. And jumping forward a little bit to the end, he was the only manager that Abramovich has ever released a statement for because Frank Lampard's a very special man. He's my hero. He's my favorite player growing up. And I can't imagine there was any Chelsea supporter that didn't want him to succeed, that didn't want him to maybe be our Alex Ferguson, our manager that was here for 20, 30 years. But yeah, why don't you go ahead and start with Frank Lampard? I'm sure you have plenty of thoughts on himself. Well, it's really interesting because like you said, uh, the first time, you know, who everybody in the Chelsea hemisphere, um, you know, was, was wanting this to work. I think many with trepidation just because, you know, maybe, not Avram Grant, but just like, is this guy ready to be at this level of managerial status? Um, of course, without it to come sort of the history at Chelsea, I don't think anybody would have argued that he would have received a job that quickly at top flight. Although again, that, that was 
Yeah, no kidding. I mean, his his connection with the club, he he was Chelsea in many ways. He bleeds Chelsea. So that was a massive benefit and factor for his his relationship with the club. So in some ways it's hard for me to see that as a criticism because, you know, his 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 relationship with Chelsea was one of the most important and valuable factors that he had as a manager, but um, you know, interestingly, we've talked about a couple of these guys and kind of split split, you know, season 1 and season 2 and I think Franks is you know, as much of that as anybody, um, but kind of, you know, people like to talk about almost getting a free hit at that first season because of, uh, you know, our inability to bring in transfers, and I think kind of almost pleasantly surprised or or hesitantly surprised that, that first season for Chelsea, but I don't know, Do you, what, what are your feelings about that first season? Was that tr- truly just sort of a free season? I mean, I, I don't, I think that's unfair to Frank. I think there was still quite a bit of pressure on him, and I think he, uh, you know, I think he was, it was pretty darn impressive for a first-year manager. I think it's very much speculation, obviously, and kind of pick and choose with these managers. If they have a, if they have a really big name, and they have an attractive style of football, they're going to get more of a leeway, and they're going to get more of a pass. But you see these players that, correction, these managers that may not have the experience or may not have the name behind them, they seem to have a much shorter leash. Because we weren't going to sack Frank Lampard after the first season unless he maybe got us relegated. That was probably the only way we were going to see his departure. And him earning himself a second season, if you want to say it that way, it still felt like he had a short leash. Our results weren't the worst we'd experienced when we let Lampard go, but it just seemed like they were always ready to get rid of him, regardless of maybe how we performed. His football, it was interesting. It wasn't up to the standards of some of the more world-class managers, and I think that was pretty obvious to a lot of the ownership, a lot of the board, and even, even if he outperformed some expectations, it always felt like that's not the way the board thought. It always felt like Abramovich, the board, everybody fully expected a top four finish, and he reached the bare minimum by achieving that. Was, so it's all speculation. I, th- I think maybe his name earned him a lot of favors, but even then, it was always going to be a short tenure for Frank if he could not figure it out quick enough. Well, and one of the things that's the most interesting to me about his tenure, um, and it ties into that point we were talking about earlier with the lack of bringing in transfers, you know, he, it, it, it's this, this, also this time where so much came to a head with the youth academy, because I think, you know, for, for years and years and years, Chelsea had had this be a massive asset to the club, often frustrating, you know, fans and, and rival fans, uh, uh, you know, Likewise, because it kind of became this cash generating machine this and it felt not, you know, not dirty, but it's just kind of hard to watch all this young talent and this people in your club sort of mostly be there so that you can make a profit on them and ultimately kind of add that into your cash flow as a as a operation at large. But, you know, after all the clamoring and this buildup of talent from within, you know, Frank sort of whether he was his hand was forced to or that would have been more his kind of strategy all along sort of you know opens the faucet on all this talent and so you know not just the players that we have really operating in the in the club now like Mason Mount and Reese James but also guys like you know Billy Gilmore and some of these guys that maybe you know maybe won't be part of the future for Chelsea but 
you know, that that's hard to overlook, I think, because, you know, it was something that I think fans, had, it was refreshing as a fan to see some of those opportunities arrive for players that we really wanted to see have those chances at the club. Um, but I don't know. Do you think that that was something that was more forced on Frank due to the transfer ban and sort of the the role, this, I won't say caretaker, but, I, you know, it, I never really knew if Abramovich sort of gave him full authority the way he would uh, an Ancelotti or a Mourinho or whether it was sort of a, you know, I'm going to give you your job, but you're I'm kind of going to babysit you a little too because I'm giving you the job. Um, what, you know, what was your take on that? Was his hand forced to implement all that youth or was that just his ultimate goal? I think it was a little bit of both. People say that he was extremely loyal to Tammy Abraham, which I never necessarily saw the case. He took any opportunity to kind of play Timo Werner in his favorite striker position. Well, what was perceived as his favorite striker position. He didn't mind dropping certain youth players from time to time. But did they really back him? You can say yes in one sense, because it's pretty obvious Ben Chilwell was one of Frank Lampard's signs. Frank Lampard really wanted Ben Chilwell, and you that's one of the main legacies that he's going to leave behind. You already alluded to Mason Mount and Rich James. Those players are going to be at this club for a very long time. Ben Chilwell is another one that's going to be at this club for a very long time. And we're circling back around to one player that he was also banging the table demanding, and that was Declan Rice. And that's the one they would not budge on, which is really funny today, seeing that we have highlighted him as a huge need for the club and we weren't willing to spend the money back then, but we're willing to spend much more money now for a manager that we may have a little bit more faith in. It just does kind of go to show that there was preferential treatment for certain managers based off of maybe a name, experience, a resume, as opposed to Frank Lampard. So I, I think kind of answering the question as a whole he said himself he wasn't here to play the youth. He was here to get the best results for the club. It just so happens that I mean, Mason Mount's an amazing player. Rich James is an amazing player. And they were the players that happens to give us the best chance of winning back then. And they're definitely the players that give us the best chance of winning right now. So he was doing what was best for him and the club. I'm in total agreement with you. I think that, you know, he did have his hand forced to some degree, but also like, I it, I just don't buy that, you know, oh yeah, Reese James would be, you know, not playing at Chelsea or Mason Mount would be elsewhere right now had it not been for him. I, those guys are world-class, uniquely talented, uh, and they were going to make it through regardless, in my in my opinion. But, you know, so that finally, that kind of pretty much brings us current, or at least within the last couple of years, and our, our current manager uh, that will end the, and the Abramovich era, and that's Thomas Tuchel. Um, you know, we we'll we'll talk more current, kind of where we're at with uh, you know for our next discussion, and that kind of leaves us at a natural breaking point for that. Um, but just as far as it relates to Roman Abramovich and sort of the final the final chapter of his tenure, um, you know, do you have any particular thoughts on the Tuchel hiring or or that relationship? It, I don't I don't know if this was ever the perfect marriage. I don't know if everything finally came together towards the end because it seemed like maybe Abramovich wasn't as involved in the club as he had been once upon a time. Of course, his isolation from the club itself played a huge role in that. And the one thing that Abramovich can look back on is it was a successful hiring because Abramovich is last full season as owner of this club. We won the Champions League. So I'm going to consider he wasn't in charge when we lost this season and he was forced to sell the club because there was a lot of turmoil at this club. 
so as far as I'm concerned, he won two Champions Leagues. Tuchel was the other manager that won one, and as a result, that's the that was the right manager for him at the time. And I don't know if you want to speak on Tuchel, then we can speak a little bit more on Tuchel. As you mentioned, we're probably going to have a much longer discussion about him and his role at the club going forward. But other than that, I think just kind of an overall summary and where this leaves the Abramovich legacy from this point going forward. That's where I would head to next. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think that that's something, you know, I, I think we can talk for a long time. We can dive in deeper about Tuchel and kind of the guy, the manager he is, the, the person he is and how he's now sort of the, going to be the, the, for lack of a better term, you know, the stable figure within the club here, um, at least for a short time. Um, you know, I think that's a very interesting discussion. But, yeah, just just kind of, you know, wrapping up, so to speak, on, on the Abramovich era at large, um, you know, something that one of the things that I go back to when we were talking about this conversation, um, I just found it fascinating because you had made a comment, rightly so, that from a sporting perspective, you know, um, his his legacy as an owner is kind of unassailable. I mean, it's just, it, it's going to be, un, it's remarkable. Um, and yet, in this unique circumstance that he's having to not be the owner anymore because of a po- worldwide political dispute in which many folks, many folks that aren't even fans of the game are aware of who he is on a political global basis because of this uh, situation. So from a Chelsea fan perspective, I mean, I think rightly so, uh, you know, he, it's very hard to be, to not look back on this um, as an all time legacy of sports ownership. And yet um, I'm very intrigued to see where we feel and what our thoughts are on this part of the, you know, the, the end here, particularly 12 months from now, but more so even five, ten years from now, and what's remembered not only by us as Chelsea fans, but sort of what the what the what the taste in the mouth at, at large is of, of how that was, and is this how much does this um, rightly or wrongly sort of sour the larger picture of of all his accomplishments as his time as the club owner? If John Terry is any indication of how little we care about others' opinions of our players and our owners then that's definitely going to demonstrate itself with Roman Abramovich. I don't care what anybody else has to say about John Terry. He's one of the greatest captains, and he is one of the greatest players in club history, and he's one of the greatest defenders that's ever put on the England shirt and the Chelsea shirt. And that's kind of the way I feel like we're going to look at Abramovich. A lot of people are going to say, you know, he's a bad guy. He inherited, you know, some dirty money, and he's involved in some really, with some really bad people. And those things might be true. John Terry is not the most upstanding citizen out there. But if you were just looking at this as the impact he had on Chelsea Football Club, it's from this point going forward, immaculate. He cannot, he's going to leave a legacy that cannot be touched. He accomplished more with this club than he had in his entire history beforehand. And unless something dramatic happens from this point going forward, unless we have unimaginable success, even greater success than we've already had. I think it's going to be impossible to ever have an ownership that we respect and appreciate as much as the Abramovich ownership era had. That's that's just some kind of initial thoughts on that, but yeah, I, I assume you probably feel the same way. Yeah, I really do. And I, again, I think it's one of those conversations that's hard. It's, it's not, you know, not raw emotional at this point I'm kind of worn out of the conversation and and ready for a little bit of you know just ready to move on and see what the next era looks like but I 
yeah, I just think it's one of those things that uh, will be uh, inter- more interesting down the road with a little more perspective, both as a fan and then just sort of looking back on the you know con- context of the league and the legacy itself. Um, you know, it it'll be obviously impacted a lot too by what happens in the next four, five, ten years. Um, you know, if Chelsea continue on to be a globally successful club, then there will be one memory of the Abramovich legacy that was part of a growing or you know part of a success and part of an ownership group that's successful. If if Chelsea doesn't, if that doesn't happen and we fall on hard times, then you know it'll be interesting to see whether the perspective is all uh, you know just reminiscing and wishing he was back and for the the old days of Abramovich or if there's more of a frustration with some of the things that you know ultimately he was he's selling the club because of sanctions that were against him personally and whether um, people will feel like some of the things in you know in his personal life uh, they'll have some resentment or or frustration about where he left the club going forward so that's why I think it'll be really interesting to look back on because I think the next couple years and how we do right or wrong will ultimately color a lot in the way people remember the end of his tenure regardless this entire time with the club his legacy is secured and he has brought things that I didn't imagine were possible as a child so I will always have great appreciation for everything he's done for the club. He definitely left it in a better place than he purchased the club. So I don't think any, I honestly never envisioned this club not having him as the owner. I knew I was going to probably outlive Abramovich and I was going to have to see a time he wasn't our owner, but I never thought about it. I always thought he was going to be a man that was in charge of everything and having him go. It's, it's kind of surreal. I still haven't necessarily accepted it, and I'm I'm just grateful. We'll always be grateful. I think Chelsea supporters in general will be grateful for everything he's done. Absolutely, I think we're, we'll all look back one way or another very, very fondly on the on the Robin Abramovich era, and that sounds like you said still very weird to say because that's officially a closed chapter now. That that's that's a that's hard to believe in itself. Going to take me some time to get used to, but Julian. Thank you, man. I sure appreciate it. It's so great to have you. Uh, I, you have so many wonderful thoughts on so many different time frames of the Chelsea, uh, you know, fandom, and I, I appreciate you kind of going back and looking back through that, kind of you know, piece by piece over this because I think it's so interesting to you know. There's so much going on around Abramovich even now in this last several months, but it's really. Uh, you know, I, I appreciate taking the time with me to kind of go back through the through each piece of that uh, legacy itself, so that you know that this kind of big headlines and and this big drama caused here in the last months isn't ultimately kind of the 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 major and only thing that's kind of remembered, and that you know so much of the other things that were accomplished are are you know front and center in these conversations uh, now and and going forward. So, any final thoughts, my friend? Well, I appreciate you having me, and this is basically kind of a brief synopsis of his entire time. I mean, you go into detail about every single little thing that happened with this club, and even now I feel like we've kind of only scratched the surface of what his impact and role with this club, both in terms of when he brought it, when he purchased it, through the end, we barely were able to do it justice. But even then, I just hope that this was uh, sufficient, at least brief summary of all of the amazing things and even controversial things that his ownership entailed.
Well, if we find out it wasn't an in-depth review, we'll have to start our second podcast, The Life and Times of Roman Abramovich, and we'll, you know, we'll dive into the, all the the growth of the post-Soviet era uh, aluminum business. So, uh, my friend, great talking to you as always, and uh, looking forward to the next time we do it. Stay tuned. Sounds like we'll probably be talking about Thomas Tuchel next, and uh, definitely keep keep your eyes out for that in the coming week. Uh, Mr. Julian Bravo, thanks again for joining me, and we'll talk to you all on the next edition of We Ain't Got No Podcast time at the club and it did seem like he was going to go all out and spend some money and get us right back on track because that was the positive